Mongols B. And Brian, with you here for the Sunday night edition of Heatwave Sports, the Super Sunday night. We get it all recapped for you. Week five of the NFL, Major League Baseball. We're going to talk a little college football. And let me introduce my co-host tonight. It is not Tom Barton. I just saw Tom Barton. But Tommy is uh, had a long day. Obviously, he's still on East Coast time, so he had a long day. He's going to take the night off. That's all right, because it opens the door for our own Heatwave Sports member, of course, radio personality, the radio god, Chris Wynn joining us. Chris, hey, man, you're getting a lot of uh, airtime here on Heatwave Sports lately. No question about it, Tim. Always great to join you. And uh, wow. Re- referenced as radio god i don't know if i i don't know if i necessarily go that far but uh <laughs> appreciate the uh love my friend from uh, mr ugglesby there as uh we have all kinds of uh interesting storylines to dive into don't we tim when it comes to the nfl as uh week five is uh going in full force it started on thursday it continued today and of course it'll be topped off by the hometown team taking the field up there in Kansas City in the hostile environment that is Arrowhead and uh, Kansas City, Missouri, as a a big-time rivalry in the AFC West ensues with Monday Night Football. And obviously we're going to talk Monday Night Football preview in hour two, get you ready for it. But let me just throw the question out. You, You brought it up. Let me throw the question out. And even though I sent you a rough draft of the uh, itinerary for tonight. I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of mix up the order here, and, and we'll go. Let me ask you this question, leading into another question. But the question would be: Are the Raiders in an absolute must-win situation again this week? There is absolutely, positively, Tim Oglesby, no question about it, and that continues to be the case, and it will be the case up and through at least through Week 11 or Week 12 of this season, given the fact that they are in the AFC West, given the fact that they're in the AFC period and every win from here on out when you're sitting at one and three is going to be monstrous. So uh, make no mistake about it. It absolutely is a must win. And unfortunately, it could be uh, very difficult for the silver and black to get things done, given, you know, the history, given what they're facing with Kansas City. And uh, like you talked about, we're going to discuss it more in detail later on. But uh, no doubt about it, absolutely is uh, a spot where they cannot come out of it with an L and expect to have realistic opportunities when it comes to the postseason here in 22 and 23 season. Raiders will be at Arrowhead, like you said, tomorrow night for Monday Night Football. One and three. Backs were against the wall last week. They found a way to squeeze a win out now again, heading into a bye week after tomorrow. Uh, like Chris said, should be a must-win game, and we'll – break it down for you here in a little bit but they are on the road so Elysian Stadium needed to be uh, used for this past weekend Chris and last night or yesterday afternoon into last night we saw a well it's being listed as the largest athletic event in the state history 67,000 people filled Allegiant Stadium to Notre Dame knock off the 16th ranked BYU Cougars 28 to 20. Chris were you at this game or uh, and if you were, break that down for us. If you were not, just your thoughts on, you know, when, when we saw football games start coming to Legion Stadium, in fact, BYU was just here last year, and we saw the crowds get a little bit bigger and bigger, but Notre Dame brings us just a completely different atmosphere and environment 
to the college football landscape. No question about it. And look, we have obviously a history here in Las Vegas regarding BYU, former Mountain West uh, a member, basically. And there's all kinds of history, both on the football and basketball side, when it comes to the Cougars. So as you expected, it was a electric atmosphere down there. But no, Tim, I was not actually in attendance at the game. But of course, you and I both being members of the media and having a lot of colleagues in the media there was a lot of aspects that were uh, put on social media and then we got a chance to see i pointed out how uh you know the one thing that caught my eye was that was the green hot dog buns that were going down whether it be in the press box or i'm sure whether it was tailgating or whether it was in actually the stadium there at allegiance stadium as you had notre dame of course taking on byu and you had two quality football teams right you're talking about notre dame a national uh a national power you're talking about byu at times can be a national power. They're right now ranked in the top 20 in the country, so understandable. And you got a coach in Marcus Freeman who's just kind of trying to establish himself there as a, you know, as a as a uh, as a coach. And you've also got uh, you know the likes of uh, you know Drew Pline, Drew Prine, as well as uh, as well as uh, guys like uh, uh, the tight end who had a big time game as well too for them that stepped up and uh, and and Logan Diggs as well as uh, uh, Estime also had combined uh, almost 200 yards on the ground for the Fighting Irish as they were able to get it done. This is what's going to happen, right, Tim, though? This is what's going to happen here in Las Vegas. You're going to have these types of events, and I call them events because obviously a college football game, but it is something that's out of the norm given obviously Notre Dame and BYU are not local teams here, but it's still an event that is going to draw interest as did this did this did on a, on a Saturday uh, early afternoon uh, or excuse me early evening uh, late afternoon tilt between these two teams and uh, and uh, Notre Dame was able to pull out the win and you got a uh, uh, a Blake groupie field goal actually that gives them the the uh, the eight point lead late and uh, you have the Cougars driving down into Notre Dame territory and you've got you know Jason uh, Almi Alola basically dragging. Uh, Katoa down on a fourth and one that ends up uh, being the decider in this tilt. But uh, it's always great, isn't it, Tim, to have a, a matchup between uh, two, two schools from a football standpoint that do have prestige and that do have a following and that will bring people here to Las Vegas and then get a chance to see a tilt like that between these two squads, the Fighting Irish and the Cougars. And if any of these professional leagues or even – college football playoff, whatever you want to call it. They're, they're doing the bracket. They're expending the uh, playoff system here in the next couple of years. Look, we already know the Super Bowl is coming. We already know the Final Four is going to come. The college football playoff national title game will be played here at some point. So, you know, the Legion Stadium was built for a reason, and you're seeing why here with the Raiders obviously filling it up and now on a collegiate side of it. Chris, is it wrong for me to say this, that, I, that but I'm going to do it anyways? UNLV football will never fill that stadium up. I don't think you're out of line in any way, shape, or form to make that statement because it's essentially factually accurate given what we're talking about as far as the status of the UNLV football program. One more quick note, too, Tim, that I want to point out regarding that Notre Dame-BYU football game. Super cool there that uh, recognized during a timeout there in the second quarter. You had uh, Notre Dame alum, women's basketball star Jackie Young, now, of course, a member of the Las Vegas Aces 
was an integral part of that uh, Fighting Irish National Championship run back in 2018. Obviously, also won the gold medal for the United States back in 2020. And uh, and as I mentioned, uh, helped the Las Vegas Aces win the first franchise's first WNBA championship. She was recognized during that game. So that was a kind of a cool moment to kind of tie things in locally as well, too, with the Las Vegas Aces and uh, with Notre Dame as well. Let's talk about the Rebs. They come up lame Friday in San Jose as they get dropped by the Spartans. Next up will be Air Force here Friday night in Las Vegas. I'm hoping to get out there. Hopefully you'll be there, Chris. We can check this game out together. But Air Force upset at Utah State. And I was looking at, I was talking to Tommy about this last night. I said, well, what do you think the line for this game is going to be, you know? And we agreed somewhere between three and four. Air Force, a 12-point favorite Friday night here in Las Vegas, Chris. Yeah, Rebels took it really on the chin, right, Tim? Rolling up to the Bay Area, taking on a San Jose State team that uh, was uh, four, it was 3-1 and one at the time. And they just flat-out boat raced UNLV. Obviously, you have the injury to Doug Brumfield, that is a major concern because we talked about this left and right, right, Tim? Whether it's on our text messages, whether it's on social media, whether it's with fans or other media members, let's be straight up and honest about it. This UNLV Rebels football team is going to go or not go depending on the health of Doug Brumfield and the impact that a lot of these incoming transfers are going to make with Doug Prungfield as a quarterback. All due respect to Cameron Field, and look, he completed 14 and 19, from, uh, passing with, a, with just over 140 yards, and he had that touchdown pass late to McKee in that third quarter to get UNLV on the scoreboard. But I don't think there's anybody out there that's thinking, okay, this is a team, given what they've, given how they've been as successful, essentially the first four games of the season. And what they've been able to do with Doug there at the quarterback position, what they've been able to do with Aiden Robbins and those wide receivers that have transferred in across the board, whether it's Williams, whether it's White, and uh, and a number of other people, it, it is just not the same team without Doug Brumfield in there. So uh, Cordiero, the quarterback for San Jose State, had a big-time game, uh, passes for 230, and, uh, and added 109 yards on the ground, by the way, with touchdown runs. Uh, of 10 and 15 yards, and he also had that, that touchdown pass to Mazzotti that uh, essentially stretched out San Jose State's lead to 33 to nothing. But, uh, you know, this is going to be a tough stretch for UNLV, right, Tim? I mean, we're talking about, uh, obviously, you take a loss on the chin there to San Jose State. Now you come home, and yes, you and I will be covering that game Saturday night here in Vegas at Allegiant Stadium. You come back to face an Air Force team that absolutely has to have a chip on their shoulder, given they lost to the likes of Utah State. And people are already making comparisons, right, Tim? Across the board, we've seen this. Oh, Utah State, you know, just knocked off Air Force. So, therefore, you know, UNLV should have a much better chance against the Falcons coming up this weekend. Well, we'll see about that, you know. And, oh, by the way, we don't know yet what the quarterback position is going to hold when it comes to UNLV. So, there's a there's a number of factors that need to be decided here in the in the five six seven days up until this football game, and UNLV's got to circle the wagons. And it's not and look, you look at the schedule. We can play the schedule schedule game too, Tim. You can look. You can play the schedule game. There is a very real possibility, and I'm not trying to be Debbie Downer here or Ebenezer Scrooge or whatever you want to call me. 
there's a possibility that they could lose every single game the rest of the way and not be bowl eligible. And they need to have that mentality going into every single game the rest of the way. That needs to be what Marcus Arroyo, this coaching staff, hammers home with these guys on this team because there's no room for error. There really is not room for error given what their situation is, both from an injury standpoint and from a mentality standpoint, given what transpired this past weekend up at San Jose State. Yeah, Air Force at Notre Dame, and then the last four games to end the season. I think so far when you're really looking at the first, well, it's it's a little bit over the first half of the collegiate football season, at San Diego State, Fresno State at Hawaii, and then Nevada at home. Those four schools, Chris, disappointments, I think, when you look at where you predicted them to be at the beginning of the Mountain West season, and now where they're at, especially San Diego State and Fresno, they're not playing up to where they're used to being, especially San Diego State. So maybe a, a breath of fresh air for the Rebels coming down the stretch. But like you said, when things go bad, sometimes they just completely go off the rails, and, and UNLV does have to prepare for that because I think that Air Force game, or excuse me, the, the Notre Dame game, it's going to be a little rough one there, especially having to go to play there at Notre Dame. And think about it, right? The couple of the games that they should win, right? You think they should win the Fresno State game, right? They should win the Hawaii game, and they should win the Nevada game. But as we know, as as both of us, Tim Oglesby and myself, who have covered this team for a number of years, there are a lot of scenarios that present themselves when it comes to Rebel football, where they either don't come out to play, do not live up to expectations, and those games can turn into, they could end up in the losing column for UNLV, and that would be obviously problematic to their bowl eligibility status at the end of the season. Let's look at the Sunday nighter. The last thing we saw so far here in week five of the NFL, the Baltimore Ravens behind Justin Tucker, pull this out at the buzzer, 19-17. They get a division over Cincinnati. Big win for Baltimore in that it's been a, uh, a rough t- – they were 2-2 two and two heading into this game, Chris. Two games they lost, blue fourth-quarter leads. Saw it against – especially here against Buffalo last week on a, I guess you could say, questionable coaching decision made by Harbaugh. And then Jackson just – made it even bigger with a poorly timed interception to, to kind of push that game out of reach. We saw Miami come from 21 down in the fourth quarter and knock the Ravens out. And then tonight almost happened again. Cincinnati was able to go up uh, by a point late, but Lamar Jackson did drive the, the Ravens into field goal position where Tucker, who had kicked the 58 yarder earlier was money on this one. The, the hall of fame kicker I heard on the radio broadcast, and that's a hundred percent correct. He will be in the hall of fame one day. He gets it done. 1917 Ravens three and two Bengals the defending AFC champions Chris fall to two and three no question Tim uh, Hall of Fame kicker look I would I would I would contend that he's probably the best kicker of all time and I don't think I'm just completely out of my mind by making that statement but that being said it was uh, a game that was a uh, it was a struggle to watch to be quite honest with you not exactly exciting from an offensive standpoint but let me tell you something this is a remarkable turnaround for the Baltimore defense. This is a team that allowed, what, 41 points in each of their two losses last year to the Bengals. And this time the Ravens were able to kind of keep Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase mostly under control. 
to pull off the impressive stand there in the third quarter after Cincinnati had that, what, first and goal from the two-yard line, and you had the Bengals who trailed 13-10, to 10, and then they wasted an opportunity, the key play being that 12-yard loss when Cincinnati tried to kind of reverse pass there on second down, and the third down completion put the Bengals back at the two, but then they had the shovel pass that uh, on fourth down that went incomplete. I don't really know, you know, uh, you also have the situation where, I mean, why are you not kicking the field goal, right? If you're the, I mean, I don't understand why the, why, why the, why the Bengals, or excuse me, the, uh, the Ravens didn't kick that field goal to tie the game. You got, you, you and I both watched this game, right? We saw how this game was transpiring. I don't understand why the Ravens wouldn't kick that to tie the game. Instead, try to go for it on fourth down there at the goal line and obviously didn't make it. And it ended up being a big time stand. Now, you know, the Ravens end up uh, winning the game. So I guess you can say it's hindsight is 2020, whatever. But uh, I wasn't too impressed by that. What I am impressed at is Mark Andrews continuing to be the number one option and continuing to be the big time offensive factor for this team, other than Lamar Jackson for a team that's in the NFC that's three and two. And that is going to be right there in the mix. I've been, we've been saying it all along uh, as far as the Ravens and their opportunities when it comes to the postseason. But, uh, look, this is a Ravens team that improved, what, 19-2 and two in primetime games under John Harbaugh. That record is absolutely daunting. And, uh, you know, Justin Tucker, the numbers are just ridiculous, Tim. Let's be, let's be, let's be honest about it. I mean, they're just absolutely crazy. To add to his, as you pointed out, Hall of Fame career, and if not the greatest, one of the greatest kickers ever, the guy is 17 for 17 in his career on attempts in the final minute of regulation. He has not missed Tim Oglesby. That, to me, is a signal of how clutch this guy is and is just utterly unbelievable that you get that kind of production out of your kicker. Unreal. And I'm with you. He is definitely the best kicker in the history of the National Football League. Holds the record for the longest field goal. He did it against your boys last year with a doink. And how about this one? You gave the 17 for 17. How about we go even further? Let's let's, uh, expand that. In the fourth quarter in overtime, Chris, he hasn't missed in his last 61 field goal attempts. How about that? That's pretty impressive as well, too. And you know what's surprising, too, is that the Ravens were in with this game. Usually, Joe Burrow, when they lose games, the Bengals, right, Tim? He's on his back a ton. Wasn't the case. I mean, the guy had to what? He was sacked twice this entire game. So, for Joe Burrow, he was probably happy, right, that he wasn't on his backside the entire game. Like, happened essentially, you know, all through this year, all of last year, you know, in his first season. And uh, beyond, I mean, this guy, this, it wasn't one of those deals where the Ravens were just dropping him every other play. And yet uh, Joe didn't exactly have an electrifying game, 200 yards passing, essentially 217, and just one touchdown on the game. He had the one pick as well, too. So got to be uh, impressed if you're Tim Ugglesby and you're uh, a Ravens backer that the defense and Justin Tucker got it done tonight for Baltimore. Cincinnati put up 41 on Baltimore twice last year, only 17 today in the win. And really, what's what's wrong, Chris? What's wrong with the Bengals? Did they have some of that Super Bowl rust? 
look at when you look at the first five games of the season, an, an exciting, but they came up with an L in week one at home against Pittsburgh. But looking at the Steelers now, uh, that's a bad loss. Week two at Dallas, a field goal loss to the Cowboys. Well, Cooper Rush was the quarterback, right? Bad loss. They beat the Jets. Everybody should beat the Jets. Nice win against the Dolphins last week, but Tua was out. And now today, a game where they could have won. They probably, even if they would have won, they probably shouldn't have won, Chris, by the way they played. But they end up with the L. So they're 2-3. and three, And they go to New Orleans next week to take on a very, uh, I'm not going to say great New Orleans Saints team so far this year. But they, the, that team is definitely a non-quitting team and they can score points too. So Cincinnati really is, is in bad shape right now with the bulk of uh, the second half of the schedule coming up, including some bangers against KC and Tampa and Cleveland. So Buffalo's on that schedule as well. It's it's not a, a nice run here for Cleveland here in the next, I'd say, six weeks. And quickly, Tim, regarding the Bengals, look, I mean, this is a team that is going to be at its peak success-wise when their offense is clicking in all cylinders, right? And look, you do like getting, you know, 5.6 yards of carry from Joe Mixon in this matchup against Baltimore. And, you you know, you do like to see, a, a, you know, a, a Hayden Hurst sighting when it comes to the Bengals as well, too. And that was kind of like bittersweet for him getting, you know, even though they lost the game, he got a touchdown against his former team. But you cannot have a situation, right, uh, Tim? You cannot have a situation where the Bengals receiving core, Jamar Chase ends up, you know, seven for 50. You can't have, you know, and all the other key receivers down the list behind the likes of P. Ryan and some others, right? I mean, you got to be more productive from a passing standpoint if you're the Bengals are going to be successful. So that was, to me, a big key why they were not able to uh, pull out a W tonight. And a key, big key why they've kind of been a Jekyll and Hyde team so far this season, you know, as you pointed out, getting, you know, losses to the likes of the Steelers and the Cowboys and, and uh, you know, getting that win against the, the Jets, which, by the way, I mean, it, it looks like a half-decent win at this point given uh, what I'm sure we're going to talk about later on with, uh, you know, Gang Green has been able to do there in New York City. Chris Wint, Tim Unglesby, Heat Wave Sports, Fox Sports Radio, 98.9 FM, 1340 AM here in Las Vegas. Timeout number one, of course, on the other side of the break, week five NFL games. Uh, I'm not going to say a lot of upsets per se, but some strange, strange finishes here in week number five. We'll break them all down for you. That plus Major League Baseball semifinals are set. We'll go over that as well on in hour number two. It's Heat Wave Sports here on Fox Sports Radio. Now back to Heat Wave Sports. Here's Tom Barton and Tim Unglesby. And Chris Wynn tonight. Heat Wave Sports Super Sunday Night Edition. Every weekend, 10 to midnight, right here on Fox Sports Radio. Chris, I am... I don't. I guess Amy Schumer would consider me weird because I'm wearing a Mark Andrews jersey tonight. Eight catches, 89 yards, and a touchdown in that win for Baltimore. So uh, maybe I just don't register on Amy Schumer's list. I'm sorry. Wait, wait, time out. Why would she consider you weird? Because you're sporting the jersey of the tight end. That is a big-time factor for your squad. Well, it would be different if it was in a frame, right? <laughs> Oh, it makes a difference to Amy Schumer if, if it's if it's a jersey that's framed up as opposed to fans actually wearing said jersey? Apparently. Apparently. Yeah. <laughs> Doesn't make much sense to me. I'm sorry. No. I don't get it. 
since we're on the topic, and I don't think I don't know if you've ever been on the show when me and Tommy have this this um, this argument. He thinks she's atrocious, right? I don't. I like Amy Schumer. I think she's funny, but kind of kind of like I'm somewhat attracted to her too. Is that bad? There's no question that she's absolutely not atrocious. I don't know where Tommy's <laughs> coming up with that, but uh, she's a woman that has a sense of humor. Isn't that something that should be applauded? Something that should be vaunted? Something that should be uh, something that is a plus for a woman. I don't know. Maybe that's just me, but, and I, she's, it's not like she's unattractive. I think Amy Schumer's, she's a, she's a cute, she's a, I, I don't want to say cute girl. Cause I may, maybe I sound chauvinist saying that, but mm-hmm. I think she's an attractive woman. I don't understand. Like, I mean, look, I understand now that she's, uh, I think she's married now. Right. And now actually just had a, a child, I believe. Right. So yeah. yep. things may have changed on that front a little bit, but still she is absolutely not somebody that, uh, I would call, unattractive in any way yeah amy if you're listening and i know you're not you get the seal of approval from chris Wynn and tim unglesby how about that i'm gonna have you know what to do tim is you have to do a little uh retweet here on twitter and tag her and then maybe she'll uh, get a chance to uh to a little archive action and uh hear exactly what we're talking about yes let's do it let's do it we just talked about the rams two and three since the Super Bowl. How about the team that won the Super Bowl? I'm sorry, the Bengals. How about the team that won the Super Bowl and the Rams? They're also now, Chris, two and three as they come up lame at home, 22-10 to the Dallas Cowboys. And Cooper Rush, who is now 4-0 and this year as the Cowboys starting quarterback, 5-0 and in his first five starts as a Cowboy quarterback. And uh, let's go both ways here. We'll start with the Rams, two and three. They're one and two there at SoFi. But more importantly, Chris, in the last two weeks, that offense has been miserable. And Matt Stafford, if he's not still hurt from the initial injury, he's hurt even more now. He cannot stay off his back. And that team is just, uh, uh, other than Cooper Cup and Higby, they struggle offensively very bad. And this is a Dallas Cowboys team that you're going to associate their identity really with the defensive side of the football. Now, look, I love me some Cooper Rush, right? Uh, when it comes to, you know, the Lansing, Michigan native winning his first five starts, in fact, in the NFL first four this season, obviously, and being the toast of the town right now in Big D. But the impressive start to the season without Dak, Dak Prescott, while it is very real, it is also very defensive, Tim. Uh, you had you had Lawrence, obviously, with uh, the second his second touchdown in nine NFL seasons. That was big time. Uh, uh, returning that fumble 19 yards for a touchdown on the Rams opening drive. And then uh, Cooper Rush was able to just kind of he's, – he's not – look, he's not out there putting up monstrous numbers. He's not out there uh, exactly – you know, he, look, he threw for 102 yards in this win. You got a nice play there from Tony Pollard who uh, – by the way, I have, uh, I have Tony Pollard in a fantasy league and I've been kind of like trying to – uh, pick and choose when I start the guy. And, of course, uh, I bench him this week, and he goes for that 57-yard touchdown run for the Cowboys. And uh, Dallas, look, they're off to a 4-1 start for the second consecutive season after racking up four consecutive wins without Dak Prescott. That is impressive, right? I mean, it, and it looks, like he's, uh, it looks like he's very close to returning from that thumb surgery and, uh, and being back in the mix. So, Look, there's no quarterback controversy necessarily when you're talking about the Dallas Cowboys, and there certainly is no controversy as to why this team is sitting at 4-1 and one 
and right there at the top of the division with the likes of the New York Giants there in the NFC East. It is defensively what this team is able to do. You had uh, the Armstrong force fumble that was returned by Lawrence and later uh, blocked a punt in the first quarter uh, for the Dallas Cowboys. And you, you, look, it was a uh, it was a big-time momentum shifter. I know there's people out there that don't believe in momentum, but certain players in the Cowboys do, especially Micah Parsons, who talked about that big play by Armstrong and Lawrence. And also Parsons mentioned, look, you start how you finish. We started with a bang, and we ended with a bang. That's exactly what happened as Parsons had that strip sack of Matthew Stafford in the Rams' final play, punctuating a rough day for Los Angeles. I don't really know. Tim, I mean, I'd love to have your opinion on this. I don't really know uh, exactly what's what the, what the deal is here with the Los Angeles Rams. You're talking about the defending Super Bowl champions. You like Cooper Cup, obviously, as a wide receiver there. You like Matthew Stafford and kind of what he brings – to the table there, but this is a Rams team that, that, that needs to fix something. And there, there, there's just something missing. There's something amiss. And I don't necessarily can, can put my finger on it. And it was uh, exacerbated by this loss to Dallas uh, coming up today. Yeah. I think really what I've seen, not only in the last two weeks in, in losses, but the last kind of month is staff doesn't seem right for first and, you know, if you go back to the beginning of the preseason when he when he was an issue that he got over very quickly, um, that there could be something there. But but like I said, he's been spending a lot of time picking himself off up off the ground. So first thing is he's got to be able to have time, as, as any quarterback should. Right, Chris? But he doesn't really have it. And the second is a lack of, of a rushing attack. Cam Akers, uh, Henderson, who else? Powell, whoever they're giving the ball to, they're just not producing – enough yardage to keep defenses honest. And I know you got cup who's look, he's the best receiver in football, right? And he's going to get his, but then where do you go? Tyler Hickby's become option number two. That's your tight end. So the Allen Robinson signing hasn't panned out so far in the off season score next become their, their next big guy. And nobody really talks about him, but I think it's a combination of things, Chris. And if McVay's such a genius offensive genius, he needs to figure something out here. And they got to find that, a way to plug the holes, right? You talked about yeah. that running game, right, Tim? You talked yeah. about the running game for Los Angeles. And, look, I guess I'll attribute some some of the the faltering by Los Angeles is that the offensive line just hasn't been healthy, right? You're talking about three guys missing, three starters on that offensive line. And so you're not providing any support for that running game that you talked about or for Stafford, who, by the way, I mean, the guy still threw for 300, what, 308 yards. But when you're when you're on your back five times, you get sacked five times. That's not good for offensive continuity. So again, there's, they're going to have to find a way to, to to play and plug when it comes to that offensive line. And and as you talked about uh, with the coaching staff, they got to figure out a way to uh, to make it work, even with the reserves when it comes to those the big uglies up front, as we like to call them. Look at this schedule coming up. So they they. They, they have a home game against Carolina next week. That should be a win. But when you only scored nine points in the last two weeks, nothing's a given anymore. But just considering to say they win, then they go on a bye. So that's it's a nice little bye for them. They'll be, they would be three and three at a bye week. Because the next part of the schedule, look at this one, Chris. Home against San Francisco, at Tampa, home against Arizona, at New Orleans, at Kansas City, home against Seattle. 
that is a tough road to hoe there, if you want to put it that way. So things could get really bad. And I know it's already tough enough to repeat in the NFL, but we're talking a bad run here, Chris, and they don't even make the playoffs. There's no question about it, right? You look at, at their schedule after October 30th, this is a team that could be that could be one at what, one and four? I mean, that's not that's not outrageous to say that, to make that claim when you take a look at the setup that they have going into I guess the matchup against Seattle, and it's like, look, the Seahawks aren't exactly pushovers that we thought they would be right now. They're sitting at two and three, and that's a matchup in early December that the Rams will take on Seattle at home. So, and then they got the matchup with the Raiders after that. So, uh, we don't know, you know, if the Raiders' backs are going to be against the wall or, or, or exactly what the status of the Raiders will be then by that point. But there's no question, Tim, that you look at that schedule, it is daunting, and it sets up for a situation where. We, and we talk about it all the time, right? Super Bowl hangover. Team that wins the Super Bowl, comes out, does not perform up to par or what we expected the following season. If they go through a bad stretch between late October and into December, it could be absolutely tough sledding for the Los Angeles Rams the rest of the way. Let's go to the early morning game. Six thirty. Chris, were you up at 6.30 today? I was up. I was up early. I was bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, Tim Ugglesby, for a little NFL action from across the pond. Because, and look, it's, it's because, you know me, I'm a, I'm a Detroit Lions fan, so I had to catch the NFC North's first-ever Green Bay Packer performance over there in jolly old England. Yeah. Well, wasn't a good outcome for the Green Bay faithful as the New York Giants win a road game, or really a road game, 27-22, with an impressive fourth quarter to, to put the game away. So the Giants, Chris, 4-1, and one, the worst 4-1 and one team in football, if you, if you ask me. But it doesn't matter. Wins are wins, and they're sitting in the driver's seat of the NFC East right now. And it was a rough, rough go of it for the Green Bay Packers, Tim. Daniel Jones, Saquon Barkley, big time in this game for the New York Giants, both of them making key plays. In this win, you had the situation where Barkley took that direct snap, right? Ran it, it from two yards out in the fourth quarter to kind of tap things or cap things off. And uh, you had uh, the Giants scored 17 unanswered points in the second half. And Jones was playing on a bum ankle, right? And he led three scoring drives to erase that 20 to 10 deficit. And this is the New York Giants' best start, Tim, since 2009. When they were five and zero, and matches their win total from last season, where they were four and thirteen, so all smiles when it comes to Big Blue there in New York, knowing that uh, not only maybe Daniel Jones could be the guy at quarterback for for the Giants, but you're also Saquon Barkley is healthy, right, Tim? That has got to make Giants fans all kinds of pumped up. This guy is healthy and he's contributing, and he is contributing to a team that's winning football games. And you also have to give suitable credit to this coaching staff, right? I mean, this is a coaching staff that uh, we, look, has been maligned, as have most coaching staffs in New York. And our uh, esteemed co-host Tom Barton can attest to this. Uh, coaching staffs absolutely get blasted and lambasted left and right in that town. Not the case in the situation as the Giants have gotten off to such a stellar start. 
Speaking of the NFC North and speaking of Tom Barton, his Chicago Bears were at Minnesota to take on the Vikings. Another exciting football game, back and forth. But Minnesota wins it at home, 29-22. They are now 4-1 and on the season, 3-0 and on their home field. Kirk Cousins, 296 today through the air. Cook almost 100 on the, on the ground. And, of course, Chris, Justin Jefferson, the LSU grad for the LSU uh, phenom. 12 catches, 154 yards for the Vikes. Kirk Cousins gets the uh, one-yard quarterback sneak there with 2.26 left on Minnesota's fifth third-down conversion of its go-ahead drive, and that was just absolutely huge for Minnesota, and they snapped out of their kind of uh, another mid-game slump just in time to beat Chicago in this game. I have to say I had the over in this football game, and I was sweating a little bit there in the first half with both these teams kind of going back and forth and not scoring the amount of points that I would like you had David Montgomery turning from that one-game absence due to that ankle injury, and he scored Chicago's first touchdown on that nine-yard run late in the second quarter. You had Velas Jones Jr. Uh, scoring on his first career. The guy, the first time he touches the football offensively, he gets that nine-yard reception off of a jet motion shovel pass to cap off the first possession of the third quarter and make it a one-score game. But this was just too much Minnesota, too much of the time, uh, whether it was Adam Thielen and then obviously – you get a, uh, a breakout game for Justin Jefferson, finishing your career-high 12 catches for 154 yards and that two-point conversion from, from Kirk Cousins that pushed the lead to seven. That was big time for them. And You mentioned Dalvin Cook, uh, just short of 100 yards, a couple of touchdowns against a D that's been pretty vulnerable, to be honest with you, on the ground against uh, Matt Eberfluss's uh, defense in his first season. So uh, Kirk Cousins sets of what a franchise record, 17 consecutive completions to start the game. And that kind of set the tone for Minnesota as they're able to kind of, uh, to kind of power through in this one. And uh, very quietly, I mean, I guessed him, right? Very quietly, the Minnesota Vikings are sitting at four and one and atop the NFC North and uh, are going to be uh, all kinds of trouble to deal with if they can continue to ramp things up both offensively and defensively up there in the upper Midwest. Chris, let's just finish off the NFC North, and I'm glad Brian Feldman's not on the show tonight. We might have to have Ryan on the uh, the sensor button there if he was going to talk about this. But your Lions head to Foxborough, and not only did they come away with a loss, they don't score a point in this one. 29 nothing. Belichick and the Patriots behind Bailey Zapp get the win. Ramonde Stevenson, the Oklahoma grad, Gorman, Grad, 161 on the yard yards on the ground, Mr. Wynn. And uh, look, this is where we're at. One in four are your Lions. This was a textbook stinker, Tim, when it comes to my Honolulu blue and silver in Detroit. There was a lot of nostalgia to start this game off. You see the Patriots with their Patriot Pat uniforms, right, with the white helmets, with the guy in the helmet and, you know, the red pants. And you got a a backup quarterback, a third stringer in Bailey Zappi out of Western Kentucky. By the way, the, the last guy that I remember with a Z to start his last name was, of course, Scott Zolak back in the 90s. You had to step in the first time that Drew Bledsoe got hurt and win a couple football games and end up being kind of a cult hero. Well, Bailey Zappi is starting to be that for the New England Patriots, but defensively they were just staunch across the board when you're talking about the Patriots in this football game. 
which is uh, me being Captain Obvious, given the fact that the final was 29 to nothing, and the Detroit Lions were the highest-scoring offense going into this game in the NFL. The Lions were scoring a ton of points all, you know, all season long, despite the fact that they were 1-3 in the season. Wasn't the case today, as they just weren't able to get anything going, whether it be on the ground or through the air. Now, in fairness to Detroit, the number of injuries across the board that were huge. DJ Chark out on the receiving end, obviously, when you're missing the likes of uh, a DeAndre Swift in the backfield and, and some other pieces defensively, it's going to be tough sledding for Detroit. But you mentioned Ramadre Stevenson, the Las Vegas native, rushing for a career high 161, and you had Kyle Duggar returning that fumble 59 yards for a touchdown. That pretty much set the tone for the rest of the game for the Patriots on the defensive side of things. And uh, the defense essentially, along with the ground game, gave Bailey Zappi plenty of support. He's able to get the victory, despite the fact that he had, what, 188 yards passing with uh, Mac Jones out for the second straight week with an ankle injury. And, of course, Brian Hoyer on the IR following that concussion last week. So uh, the Patriots, they, you know, they kind of right the ship, I guess, a little bit. But I don't think Bill Belichick and company are going to be all too pumped about uh, you know getting a win like this over Detroit, even though the, this is a Lions team that's been able to score points up to this week. Uh, I'm sure they're going to be patting the backs of their defensive unit, some at least for the next few days here uh, during the week. But uh, just an atrocious performance by Detroit, and they're I, I can't even wait, Tim. I can't even wait to start browsing and perusing the Detroit media tomorrow and Detroit talk radio scene as to, you know, what this means as far as uh, both short-term and long-term for the Detroit Lions from a coaching standpoint and from just a team standpoint. I was going to ask you, and you said it up until this week, not only were they scoring points, but they were competitive in these games. We're talking about games with the Eagles and the Vikings and the Seahawks. And then the, this was the old Detroit, it seemed like, getting blanked and just thoroughly outplayed. Next up is the Cowboys. You have division games with the Packers and the Bears on the way. You got the Bills a little bit later down the road. And you said it best in a tweet that you put out over on Twitter about how the overreaction to the hard knocks and everybody buying into what the Lions were supposed to be. But I don't think you ever differed from the fact that you never thought the Lions were a playoff team. In fact, I don't remember the exact number you said that of wins they would have, but it wasn't a high number. So all this mainstream media uh, blew up Detroit to be to be something they are. So it's not that they're a fraud. It's just they never were. Well, no question. I never really bought into the, you know, the, uh, I, in my opinion, artificial hype that came out of, you know, an appearance on a, you know, a national TV show. You know, you've got it's it's training camp and it's preseason so everybody is going to take a you know uh, you know rose rose rosy glass half full type approach to their teams. I just never I just haven't done that because myself Brian Feldman, as you pointed out, Bernie Fratto, others that have followed this team and for decades understand the nature of the organization, understand what it is that we face on a yearly and during the season week by week basis. And it just did this game against New England, right, Tim? I mean, the Detroit Lions, what was so Detroit Lions-esque about this game is there's been no team in the NFL since, I believe, the early 90s 
that went 0 for 5 on fourth down conversions. The Lions went 0 for 6 today. I mean, that just that just tells you the story. That's what we're facing, Tim. You know, as as those of us who are fans of the Detroit Lions, those kind of things happen to the guys in Honolulu Blue and Silver. That's just what happens. Now, look, there's a lot of things that exasperate that 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 uh, that elevate the ineptness and the incompetence that is Detroit Lions football. You have a ton of injuries going on right now, right? Key guys that are out, so people are going to be able to make excuses about that. But there's just an essence, right, Tim? There's just an aura when it comes to Detroit Lions football. And I'm gonna, I'm kind of going on my Brian Feldman-esque kind of rant here, and I won't extend too long. But there's just an there's just a feeling that those of us that put on that jersey every week and that go out to watch these games, and some of some of them who, and I haven't done it in years, actually spend money to go to Ford Field and watch this team play, you just know what's going to happen. You're just expecting bad things to happen, and they continue to do that, and that's been the case so far this year. Now it's a team that's sitting at one and four. The bye week is welcome, I guess, but there's no, you know, there's no optimism yet that they're going to somehow turn this thing around and end up being in the NFC playoff picture. That's not an expectation. The expectation is they're going to be walling around the bottom of the NFC North with the Chicago Bears. That's the expectation, Tim. That's kind of you know that's kind of where we are as Detroit Lions faithful and those of us in the in the great state of Michigan that follow this team. It's more about okay, what's going to happen with Michigan football and Michigan State football as opposed to the Lions. That's just the way it is. <laughs> Speaking of third string quarterbacks, we saw another one today for the Miami Dolphins. They were in New York, New Jersey to take on the Jets. So Teddy Bridgewater goes down first play of scrimmage for the Dolphins. Skyler Thompson, Chris, jumps into the, the mix here and actually had a competitive game into the break. It was the Jets 19, Dolphins 14, but then the wheels completely fell off in the fourth quarter as the Jets win this one going away very easily, 40-17. to 17. So Miami, of all the great starts to have, uh, nice wins, Tua goes down, now Bridgewater goes down, and this is what you're left with in the NFL. Skylar Thompson was not able to get it done for Miami, and, and you know, Bridgewater now in concussion protocol, excuse me. So this this could be uh, the beginning of a bad stretch here for Miami until they get the, their QBs back. You talked about the Teddy Bridgewater injury. The New York Jets set the tone, Tim getting a safety on Miami's first offensive play. And then the Jets just started running the football. I mean, it was absolutely uh, impressive, to say the least, what New York was able to do. Michael Carter, a pair of, what, one-yard touchdown runs after a big catch and uh, run play by Brees Hall that uh, helped New York stop that uh, 12-game skid against them. I mean, 12 games straight, Tim. They've lost the Miami Dolphins, and they end up with a 40-17 to victory. Zach Wilson talked about the mentality. We just talked about the Detroit Lions, right? And the mentality and kind of the, uh, you know, the aura around that team. That's changing in New York with the Jets. And Zach Wilson talked about that after the game. Talked about how that expectation is changing. We're, ex- we're expecting to come in here and win, and we'll be shocked if we don't. That's how the mindset needs to be for everybody. That's what Zach said, and he's exactly right. You got Wilson, you got Hall, you got Braxton Berrios, all rushed for scores in this game. 
And the Jets have their, what, first three and two starts since 2017. So it was the, uh, the, the first time they beat uh, a division rival since they beat uh, Buffalo, what, in week 17 of the 2019 season. That's how long it's been since they've knocked off some team that's in their division. So uh, this is a, uh, a Jets team that has to stay focused. They have to, they don't, their heads can't get too big, right, Tim? You just can't get too big even though you're able to put up a 40 spot on the likes of the Dolphins. And you talked about the Miami situation. You lose another quarterback with Bridgewater. And you end up going with, uh, with, with uh, when, when obviously Tua was hit by uh, Sauce Gardner on that blitz when he was about to throw uh, Miami's uh, first play from show. That was actually, uh, excuse me, Sauce Gardner who hit uh, Teddy Bridgewater. But uh, – the Dolphins apparently uh, announced that Bridgewater injured an elbow and was also examined for concussion. So we'll see exactly what it what it what ends up transpiring with Teddy regarding the NFL's new concussion protocol. But uh, Mike McDaniel kind of chimed in. I don't really know why Mike McDaniel keeps doing this. He keeps talking like a doctor or like he's some kind of uh, you know uh, medical expert. Uh, yet Mike McDaniel saying that uh, Bridgewater doesn't have any concussion systems and and passed the tests. But uh, the spotter saw Bridgewater stumble, so he was removed from the game. I mean, I think if you're Mike McDaniel, you might need to, like, cool it on your assessments when it comes to medical issues and your players and uh, just let the medical professionals handle that. But uh, you talked about it. Skylar Thompson comes in and uh, and wasn't horrendous, but he did have, his, you know, a pick in his first uh, NFL debut. So uh, they're going to have to figure some things out. And Miami, uh, without question, uh, absolutely uh, took this one on the chin against the Jets today. I think we can squeeze one more in here before the top of the hour. Tennessee 21-17 win at Washington. So the Titans now 3-2 and two sit atop the AFC South. And for a team, Chris, that in the home in the home opener to open the season, season opener, home opener, blew a fourth quarter lead against the Giants and lost, then were embarrassed on Monday Night Football by Buffalo. 0-2, calling for Vrabel's job. They find a way to beat the Raiders at home in week three, knock out the Colts last week on the road, and then this week a tough, tough road win over Washington. And it's uh, the Derrick Henry show now, Chris. Is he's starting to get revved up two back-to-back 100-yard weeks. So my how a season can change with a snap of a finger went from 0-2 and two to 3-2 and two, and now first place in the division. Yeah, before that matchup against the Las Vegas Raiders, a lot of people were already writing off the Tennessee Titans saying, uh, you know, this is going to be one of the also-rans in the AFC and possibly in the AFC South. Well, they've uh, they played pretty well as a, since that point, obviously sitting at 3-2 and two right now. Obviously a monster play from uh, David Long Jr., right, where he picks off Carson Wentz there at the one-yard line with six seconds left in the game. That ends up uh, preserving Tennessee's third win in a row over Washington. And as you talked about it, look, Derrick Henry, this team's going to go as Derrick Henry goes. Make no mistake about that. And, you know, it's uh, when Henry got into the end zone there in the third quarter, it was Tennessee's first second half touchdown since the season opener. That's how long since they've been able to score, you know, get in the get hit pay dirt uh, when it comes to, uh, you know, uh, when it comes to, since the first game of the season. And, uh, oh, by the way, Derrick Henry also tied what uh, Earl Campbell for second uh, on the franchise's TDs list with uh, 73. One behind Eddie George, so that's kind of significant too. But uh, they a big big part of leaning on Derrick Henry, Tim, 
that allowed the Titans to kind of compensate for Ryan Tannehill getting uh, tossed on his back, what, five times in this football game. That can't be good for the Titans. And moving forward, they're going to have to rectify that situation. If uh, And it, it also helps out, too, that they're, what, the league best uh, 10 of 11 in the red zone when it comes to uh, scoring points. So that's uh, that's pretty important, too. But uh, Tannehill, what, 15 to 25, 181. And uh, the TD pass to Hilliard for him. So he was suitable. But uh, there are some things that need to get cleaned up for Tennessee to moving forward to uh, for them to feel better about themselves, I should say. How about Washington? Last games, eight points, 10 points, And you got to feel that one in four, Ron Rivera's might be the first coach to go, Chris. Definitely a real possibility, Tim, when it comes to that. This is a commander's team that uh, a big part of this game was they were just atrocious on third down. I mean, they were, what, one of 11 on third down, including the interception. And it's a big reason why they're sitting in the uh, cellar of the NFC East. Now, it's a little bit different than what a lot of people predicted them to be. A lot of people predicted them to be kind of a middle-road team in the NFC East, but I think they're really showing uh, that they're probably on the backside of that division looking up at everybody else. You had uh, rookie running back Brian Robinson, uh, who made his NFL debut essentially six weeks to the day. He was shot, what, twice in the right leg in that attempted Mm -hmm. robbery in Washington, D.C., and Robinson got a rousing ovation when he was the last player to be introduced and finished with uh, uh, a, a not very good game. But he was still the team's leading rusher. When your leading rusher, Tim, is nine carries for 22 yards, that could be a problem. And that also added to the Washington Commanders' woes in this loss to Tennessee. So, again, the Detroit, my Detroit Lions, we have one win on the season. It's against the Washington Commanders. So another reason why I'm not jumping up and down for joy as a Detroit Lions fan today, Tim. That's Chris Wynn. This is Tim Unglesby. We're going to take our top of the hour timeout in hour two, more NFL football week five, Monday night preview with Kansas City and your Las Vegas Raiders, Major League Baseball. Still plenty, plenty more to come here in the next 60. Stay tuned. It's E-Wave Sports here on Fox Sports Radio. Sports. Super Sunday night here on Heat Wave Sports, Fox Sports Radio, Las Vegas, hour number two. The DX music. So I don't know if you knew this or not. Tomorrow night, Chris, on Monday Night Raw, DX anniversary. So they're bringing back in 30 years later or whatever it is. <laughs> it's been that long. Think about that, Chris. It's been that long, man. 30 years. That is it. It seems like an eternity, doesn't it, Tim? But, it, I mean, it really shouldn't be for for guys up in our neighborhood when it comes to uh, when it comes to the calendar. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's all right, man. We're, we're like fine wine, brother. You know, that's the way I look at it. So You're 100% spot on when it comes to that, my friend. Tell me what's going on with Chris Wynn. Tell us where you where you can be at over on that social media. I know you're, you're guest hosting a couple places this week. I mean, you're always staying busy, my man. No doubt about it, Tim. Uh, all over the place when it comes to Vegas on uh, both the sports radio and so and social media side as well. So you can find me on Twitter at Christian W. Wynn. You can find me on Facebook at, at Christian W. Wynn as well as on Instagram at CWIN 
77. And as you know, Tim, I'm like all over the radio dials here. A lot, I, feel, I feel like a sixth man in the NBA, my friend, being able to kind of bounce around. Always great to be a part of the Heatwave heat sports family here on Fox Sports Radio here in Las Vegas. Also get a chance to go over on Sports X Radio down the dial here in Vegas on Ken Thompson's show, which is a little bit more, you know, sports gaming uh, focused. And when it comes to him, uh, when, when Tim's not on, because you and I are, you know, we're not, we're not like hardcore uh, professional sports handicappers, but uh, a little bit more of that angle there on that show. And then I occasionally jump on with uh, our colleague Brian Shapiro over on his show, Pushing the Limits here in town as well, too, which is more, it's just also a ton of sports because he, that's really his bread and butter is a sports situation. But it all, we also talk about some other things, too, as far as social issues and politics as well, too. So a lot of opportunity for me to get on the airwaves. It's a lot of fun. And uh, this is uh, one of my favorite spots and one of the best spots, folks, when it comes to sports radio here in the great city of Las Vegas. And that's Heatwave Sports here on Fox Sports Radio Las Vegas. Thank you, my friend. And, of course, always been a member of this show for a while you got the shirt now too i, I seen you you repping it you have the the heat wave. oh you're, you're, you you got to be kidding me right tim i was i was i was sporting that thing left and right this past week and week and a half since i was actually uh got some of the the sweet swag at heat wave sports my friend it is absolutely getting worn out and about by myself around town <laughs> let's move to a game this morning i think if you could put a put a label on it it would just be ass kicking that would be the name of this game buffalo 38 pittsburgh 30 <laughs> buffalo 38 pittsburgh three and really this one was done at the half mr win 31 three at the break josh allen finishes with four touchdowns on 424 yards rush uh, passing kenny pickett debut as a Steeler. he if you look at it statistically the yardage is good but really he's playing from behind the whole game and, and a lot of dinks and dunks uh the steelers one and four, Buffalo four and one, and then this one was like I said, done at halftime. Yeah, no question about it. This was a flexing when it came to offensively for the Buffalo Bills, and it started in the first half. I mean, I I know a lot of you people out there play your fantasy football. Let me tell you something. If you had Josh Allen in this tilt, he was absolutely insane in the first half. Almost 350 yards passing in the first half, including four touchdown passes. And it started right from the jump with that bomb to Davis off the bat. They're sitting on the two-yard line, and somehow they find a way to break free Davis and you know a 98-yard touchdown catch, which is absolutely insane. So uh, absolutely impressive across the board when it came to the Buffalo Bills from an offensive standpoint, and just really tough when it came to Kenny Pickett when you're, you know, you get your early starts in the NFL. And, oh, by the way, you have to go up against the likes of the Buffalo Bills, who right now are – look, I, we don't have to get crazy about it. We don't have to even mince words. The Buffalo Bills are the best team in football right now, and they absolutely showed it today in a matchup against the Pittsburgh Steelers there in Buffalo. And uh, it was uh, it was already a beatdown in the first 30 minutes of this football game. And then it just kind of like, uh, you know, they kind of played out the string there in the second half. And uh, Buffalo was able to kind of secure the win. Speaking, of, you brought up fantasy. This is this is a good good one, and it's not a fantasy show, but I thought that it needed to be talked about because for as good as Josh Allen has been on the fantasy side of it, you and I are both in multiple leagues, and we you know we we kind of look at the way 
projections are for drafts and then how it plays out and when you do the actual draft. How many leagues did you see Najee Harris go early in the first round, mid-first round? And if you grab Najee Harris and spend a first-round pick on him, Chris, 202 yards and one touchdown through five games. You are at bust level right now. Oh, no question about it. There's uh, and, and there's others out there who had other running backs that are that are the other other end of that right and it's just mm-hmm. uh it's uh it's unfortunate you know but uh no question about it there's uh that's what fantasy is all about right it's about it's about uh know when to hold them know when to fold them the kenny rod the kenny rogers song you know when it comes to uh when it comes to uh rolling the dice and gambling and that's kind of the way it is with fantasy football when it comes to running backs or any position for that matter when it comes to fantasy football so uh you're spot on when it comes to that San Diego, yes, I said it right. San Diego Chargers go to Cleveland, Chris, take a 30-28 win out of their back-and-forth game. Really exciting game when you think about all the characters involved. But it has been it was the Austin Eckler show the last couple weeks today, 173 on the ground and a touchdown. Put that with another four grabs and a touchdown through the air. Herbert, I think he's still banged up, but you can see him getting better and better every week since that rib injury. And Cleveland – they have to win games like this field, especially when you have Nick Chubb dominating the line of scrim. But they find a way to beat Cleveland, Chris, and they lose this one. 30 to 28, like I said. The Chargers now three and two. Browns two and three. Yeah, a little bit of uh back and forth in this one too. Cleveland comes out to the early lead. Nick Chubb establishing himself on the ground with uh, you know, a couple of monster runs early on in this football game. And it looked like Cleveland was going to be able to kind of salt this away. You'd like what you're getting from Jacoby Brissett at the quarterback position, obviously in the absence of Deshaun Watson. And defensively, the Browns really kind of hold their own against the Chargers early on. Then things kind of turned, didn't they, Tim, in this football game where the Chargers ended up uh, kind of storming their way back, getting back into the mix. You got to see Williams. You got to see, uh, obviously, Eckler and some others get more involved from an offensive standpoint, and the Chargers were able to kind of power through. And – it ends up with a, a situation where it's kind of a almost like a field goal back and forth here late in this football game, and the Cleveland Browns had a chance, and it was very Detroit Lions-esque how this game ended for Cleveland as the Browns had an opportunity, obviously, to win a football game with a late field goal from deep, and Cleveland's not able to convert, and it ends up sending home all the Browns fans upset, and the Chargers able to pull out the win and instead of being two and three, they end up being the three and two team. And the Browns finish out this game with uh, the two and three record. So uh, kind of a turn there for the Chargers as they're able to kind of go on the road there at Cleveland and pick up a pretty important win, given that they're in uh, the very competitive and tough AFC West. Speaking of that division, when we did our preview show, Chris, you remember we were talking about they had the four best quarterbacks coming into the season in Mahomes and Herbert and Wilson and Carr. After five games, I don't think you can say that anymore. Wilson's been very mediocre. Carr, I think you can say, has been mediocre. Herbert banged up, hasn't been explosive like he was in week one. Mahomes is carrying the load there in that division, but I know it's only five weeks, a small sample size, but really not what we expected out of this division heading into Monday night. No, I thought we expected teams like the uh, obviously like the Raiders and the Denver Broncos to be much better. Even though you know, look, it's the NFL, so I guess 
either one of these teams could, uh, you know, a squirrel can find a nut and be problematic for the likes of the Chargers and the Chiefs or any other team in the AFC for that matter. But that being said, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think that uh, what has actually happened with respect to the first five weeks of the season and what we expected are not the same thing, especially when you're talking about the likes of the Denver Broncos and the Las Vegas Raiders. We had a shootout here in New Orleans. How about this game? And, and back and forth game, including right down to the end, Chris, New Orleans defends their home turf, 39-32 win over Seattle. Talk about just big plays. Kenny Walker with a busted run for a touchdown. Taysom Hill with a busted run for a touchdown. Behind in the game, I, I just back and forth. You talk about 71 points scored in a football game. This was an exciting one to watch, even if you're not a fan of the Saints or the Hawks. No question about it, right? Because you had offense being scored here when you're talking about the Seattle Seahawks and you think about a game that this team's going to be in this year, you don't necessarily think, oh, yeah, that this is going to be, uh, you know, an explosive type of team. Seahawks, 19 points there in that first half or right there, right? I mean, you're you're leading that football game by two points going into halftime. And then the second half was just wild, as you, as you pointed out, Tim, right? You had both these teams going back and forth and left and right, you know, it seemed like, Every two minutes, somebody was scoring a touchdown. And then, of course, capped off by that Taysom Hill rumbling, stumbling touchdown there at the end of the game. And uh, despite the fact that the Seahawks, what, scored 13 points in the fourth quarter, they still end up losing this football game as the Saints get the the all-important eight points there in the fourth quarter. And, of course, that touchdown, as I pointed out, from Taysom Hill, that uh, ends up putting them over the top. So pretty exciting game in a matchup that you didn't think was going to be exciting between these two teams, given the injuries that they face, uh, especially the Saints, obviously, at the quarterback position, at the wide receiver position. Michael Thomas now out for this football game um, and some other key pieces out as well, too. Obviously, Jameis Winston as well. So you didn't expect the Saints to be explosive necessarily offensively. Not necessarily the case as both these teams were able to put up points. In a game of the score is closer than really what it was. And a tough few weeks here for Tampa. They were able to get back on track with the 21-15 home win over Atlanta. A division win, more importantly. Tom Brady, 351 yards and a touchdown through the air for the Bucks, Chris. And um, Atlanta scored 15 points in the fourth quarter and make this closer than it should have been but really a dominating effort by the Tampa defense. And they looked, everything looked right for Tampa today. Let's put it that way. And maybe this win was something that's going to be a catalyst for them to go on a little run here. Yeah, we know where the bread is buttered, right, in Tampa Bay. And that's, of course, with this defense. Now, we understand Tom Brady threw for 351, had a QBR of 99, including that touchdown pass. And you like what you see from Leonard Fournette on the ground there with the uh, kind of a workhorseman type of day, right? 14 carries, 56 yards, four yards a carry. Had a uh, touchdown both receiving and on the ground and was uh, extremely effective. And then you like uh, what you get as far as balance in that receiving core from Mike Evans and Chris Godwin to even Otten and Scotty Miller had uh, had a, uh, one of his better games of the season as well, as well as uh, Rashad White as well too. So uh, they go super deep. When it comes to this receiving core in Tampa Bay from 
from Russell Gage all the way on up to all those names I've already mentioned. And defensively, when you've got Carlton Davis III and Keanu Neal and Antoine Winfield Jr. with seven tackles on the day, and you get three sacks from Levante David, and Shaquille Barrett chips in with two along with Devin White. With uh, uh, or excuse me, you get uh, you get uh, Levante David and uh, and Devin White chipping in from a tackle standpoint. That's going to be big time for this Tampa Bay defense. So uh, I quite honestly was rather surprised that the Falcons were even close in this football game. And uh, obviously that has a lot to do with uh, you know them scoring 15 points in the fourth quarter, and as you pointed out, you know making it closer late. But uh, the Buccaneers sitting at three and two is kind of what we expected. We even, might even expect them to be a little bit bigger, but uh, they're still absolutely the class when it comes to the NFC South. Really, with the Bucks, it was a matter of getting healthy, right, Chris? Evans was out, suspended. Godwin was hurt to coming into the season, <clears throat> and um, now they're all back. And that that leads into a schedule, especially in the next couple weeks that they can pad, the, pad the, the record a little bit here at Pittsburgh, at Carolina. I know they're road games, but these are games they should win before they have a home stretch of three games, and it's going to be a little bit tougher of competition with Baltimore, the Rams, and Seattle coming into town. But them getting healthy, I mean, look, they got exposed. The defense got exposed by Patrick Mahomes. There's no no shame in that. It's going to happen to everybody. And that Packer game, as as down as they were, they, they still had opportunity to win that one. So really – uh, just a matter of untimely injuries put them in that spot. But here they are healthy again, Chris. So a, a great opportunity to head back home in a few weeks with a 5-2 and two record and a completely different mind, uh, mindset and, land, and changing the landscape of not only that division but the league itself. Yeah, I mean, you start the season off 2-0 and oh, where you get, you know, wins against the likes of the Cowboys and the Saints. And, of course, uh, you know, the, the uh, situation regarding uh, – uh, the lo- the back-to-back losses, essentially, Green Bay and Kansas City, as you pointed out. So I, I still don't know if we know exactly what this, this Buccaneers team is all about. We understand they're going to be one of the big-time factors when it comes to the NFC, but just how good are they? I don't think we really know that yet. And as you pointed out, we're going to find out here in the coming weeks as they, they play through the rest of their uh, what could be complicated schedule. about this one in, in what has to be one of the more atrocious games of the, of the day. This probably is the most atrocious game of the day. Last night I had pegged Washington, Tennessee for the toilet bowl game of the week, but it became all about Houston and Jacksonville taking the, the trophy for the toilet bowl game of the week. Houston gets their first one of the year on the road with a 13-6 win at Jacksonville. Uh, Trevor Lawrence looked absolutely horrible today in a game where I think you know, everybody was looking at Jacksonville a certain way. Is this the Jacksonville of old? Can they turn the corner? We got Doug Peterson in. He's going to ramp up the offense, and Trevor's going to be more careful. And I think we've seen spots this year where Jacksonville looked like a completely different team. Even on a loss last week to Philadelphia, they were able to put points up. Well, they take a major step back this week, just scoring six points, and that was all in the first half. Nothing in the second half. They just looked – Maybe maybe it's just a bad game, Chris. I don't know what it is. Maybe it was stylistically just Houston had their number, but just a, a bad bad performance for Jacksonville, which is trying to break free of that that image that they've carried for many many years of being losers. And this was a Jacksonville of old. I'm not even going to talk about how uh, 
what was impressive about Houston other than Pierce, who continues a great rookie season there at the running back position because Houston is bad too. Just an all-around ugly game. Houston wins it though. Yeah, we were just briefly talking about fantasy implications, right? And I've got a couple pieces, obviously, in Jacksonville uh, at the wide receiver position. And uh, I was just absolutely watching the tick around this game and getting frustrated beyond all get-out, Tim Oglesby. I mean, come on now. It was like a back-and-forth of ineptitude when it came to offensively for both these teams until, obviously, you know, Damian Pierce finally gets something going whatsoever when he initially got hit behind the line of scrimmage in this game. Then he slips the, the Rayshon Jenkins tackle and then about six or seven more tackles on his way to that uh, 20 yard gain. Uh, that was more impressive than, you know, the, the uh, 75 yard touchdown run that he had last week. So uh, we already might be talking about Damon Pierce being Houston's best player right now. We might honestly be saying that he rushes for just under a hundred yards at 99 and a touchdown. Uh, a score set up by that by you had a determined fourth quarter scamper where you went through basically half of Jacksonville's defense. And look, this is a Texans team that extend their winning streak in this series to nine. That's they beat, they beat Jacksonville nine straight times in this series. So they pick up the look, the first win of the season, first under Lovey Smith and uh, fifth straight in Jacksonville, despite the fact offensively. Tim Ugglesby, they had 248 yards offensively. And the Jaguars, look, almost doubled them up. They had, what, 422, I think Jacksonville had. and But, the, of course, the turnover obviously was huge. And the two field goals and three trips inside the 20-yard line, that's not going to get it done if you're going to win in the NFL. So uh, Texans also got a huge, huge assist from the top pick in the draft when you had uh, Trayvon Walker slinging uh, Davis Mills to the ground after the whistle had clearly blown on a third and 20 play. And look, Walker was already going to get a flag there, I guess, for the neutral zone infraction. But he ends up giving him 15 yards and automatic first town. That was absolutely huge. And a lot of the Jaguars players talked about that. So that was a huge mistake on his part. And it really led to the Jaguars taking the L in this one. And now Jacksonville sitting at two and three, despite the fact a lot of us, and uh, I don't know if you were included too, Tim, have been kind of singing the praises when it comes to the Jaguars so far this season. Mm-hmm. But uh, not exactly a solid performance uh, going on at home against uh, one of the worst teams in the NFL. Let's take our final time out here on a Super Sunday night. Still a couple more games to go in Week 5 Sunday, Monday night preview, and a little Major League Baseball to wrap it all up here on this Nice, nice weekend in Las Vegas. It's Heat Wave Sports. It's Fox Sports Radio. Now back to Heat Wave Sports. Here's Tim Unglesby and Tom Barton. The big blue in the NFL, the Giants 4-1. and one. Battle my Ravens next Sunday. I'm believing, Chris, that Lamar Jackson will bring the Giant faithful back down to their knees. I, I like Baltimore all day next week against an overrated Giant football team. Well, that uh, big blue is riding high, though, aren't they? After getting that win against the Packers over there in London. But uh, it's going to be a tough matchup going up against uh, your Baltimore Ravens, given what I think Baltimore can do from a defensive standpoint, particularly against the likes of the Giants. So that's not going to be in, uh, an easy setup by any stretch of the imagination for the New York Giants and the offensive side of the football. So I would concur that uh, it could be uh, – could be tough sledding for the Giants in that tilt. 
two more Sunday games to get through here. We'll start with the Niners. How about how about this situation? Jimmy Garoppolo basically disrespected the entire offseason. We're moving you. You're no longer going to be a Niner. When they couldn't get what they wanted, I think was the was the correct this should be the correct terminology. They couldn't get what they wanted. They decided to keep him. And how how big has that been for Kyle Shanahan with Trey Lance faltering as the starting quarterback in San Francisco and now banged up? Garoppolo now in leading uh, back-to-back wins and an impressive one on the road today, 37-15. The Niners now 3-2 and two in what looked like a season that could have went badly for them quick. They have righted the ship behind the guy that took them to a Super Bowl, Chris, but yet – was basically jettisoned in the offseason. Yeah, it started early for the San Francisco 49ers team today, right? Right off the jump, you get the Garoppolo touchdown to Coleman, but a uh, big part of this win for San Francisco was their ground game, right? I mean, it was uh, impressive to see what Wilson was able to do from a running standpoint, him cutting through that Panthers defense with uh, that touchdown there in the, in the fourth quarter. And uh, But this was a Niners team that jumped out to, what, a 17 the three lead in this football game and uh, impressive as all get out as they're able to kind of uh, to kind of get this thing going. So uh, look, the Niners uh, capping that off too with, with 13 points in the fourth quarter to kind of extend those things out. But this is a Panther team, Tim, that has all kinds of issues. I mean, let's, let's face it. I mean, you obviously like what they can produce from, from the running back position and, and, and some of the wide receivers from Scotty Anderson across the board are respectable. But this is just not a good football team in Carolina. And so, yeah, you had a West Coast team traveling east, and I understand that. You have a, you know, a, a, a team that's uh, another one of those squads that's kind of trying to find themselves in the NFC uh, echelon like the San Francisco 49ers. But this was uh, an impressive performance all throughout when it came to San Francisco in this win against Carolina today. And we still have one undefeated team in the National Football League, the Eagles. They need a missed field goal from a rookie kicker right there at the buzzer to, to save uh, save well, potential tie going in overtime. But it gives them the win, 20-17 to 17 on the road. The Eagles take out the Arizona Cardinals. 5-0 and now, Chris, our, our Philly. And uh, this is a game that very well could have lost it here in the second half, but they were able to get it done. And wow. How about this Eagle team, man? Yeah, this is uh, I've talked about this numerous times. I think the Eagles are kind of surprising to be quite honest with you as surprising as how bad the Indianapolis Colts have been. I think people are equally surprised at how good the Philadelphia Eagles have been. Now look, we understand having AJ Brown and the combination of, uh, of Jalen hurts there is impressive as all get out. And Jalen Hurts, and uh, uh, again, I've mentioned this multiple times as well, too. I have a futures ticket on Jalen Hurts to win the MVP. We'll see what happens. But uh, offensively, they are very tough to deal with, whether it's, you know, whether it's Goddard at, uh, at the uh, tight end position, whether it's the plethora of running backs that they can run out there. And then, of course, defensively, they're just op- opportunistic, aren't they? I mean, this is a, a Philadelphia team that's opportunistic uh, all across the board when it comes to uh, defensively and what they can do. And uh, the Arizona Cardinals are one of those squads where you just do not know offensively what you're going to get week to week from them. And even though they're in this football game, it wasn't like you saw, you know, Kyler Murray and this team is out there uh, just all kinds of explosive offensively. They just aren't. 
that's just not what they are. And I think uh, when you talk about the coaching staff in Arizona, there's so many things to figure out and they don't have time to figure it out because they're in, a, in one of the more competitive divisions in football, obviously in the NFC West. So uh, this kind of, this game kind of played out the way I thought it would play out. Although I did, I have to admit, I did think the Eagles were going to more or less, excuse me, pull away in this matchup. And despite the fact that it was end up being a, a field goal game, I think it was pretty decisive that the Eagles won this game. How about this one next week? We get, we're getting some good Sunday nighters. And I think this one, Nobody expected the, the, the way it sits for the Eagles at 5-0 and to entertain the Dallas Cowboys next week on NBC 4-1 and for rights to that division right now. What a game that's going to be. Oh, no question about it because there's there's also intrigue too, right, into personnel possibilities and possible decisions. Now, we don't know yet what the situation regarding Dak Prescott's going to be where obviously we're, it's Sunday night and the, the game is, you know, over a week away. But that being said – um, it's, it's still going to be an interesting matchup because it's the NFC East and it's the Cowboys. So people will focus on it. And given, you know, what's transpired with Dallas so far this season and kind of being able to, you know, ride things out with Cooper Rush and this solid defense, I'm going to be very intrigued, Tim, to see exactly what this, this Dallas defense is able to do against the likes of what the Philadelphia Eagles put up there offensively, obviously with Jalen Hurts, A.J. Brown, and the rest of this team offensively. And, of course, one more game left. That's tomorrow night, Monday Night Football on ESPN, 515 kickoff here on the left coast. We touched on it at the beginning of the show. Your Las Vegas Raiders 1-3, 0-2 away from Allegiant Stadium. At Arrowhead to take on the Chiefs, 3-1, and one, just their second home game this year so far for KC and this has division rivalry bragging rights setting up for uh, what could be the end of the road for the Raiders really with a loss tomorrow night so a huge game here Kansas City Mr. Wynn a seven point favorite at home 51 and a half will be the over under yeah Kansas City of course Tim and you know this dominated both division matchups against Vegas last year and you expected given you know some of the transactions that made the offensive side of the ball obviously i'm talking about the likes of chandler jones and some others you would expect that uh, the raiders would be much more formative from that st- standpoint hasn't been the case necessarily this season obviously max crosby you like what you get out of him but it's really been a question mark in the secondary for this raiders team as well as in the linebacking core also and this is a Kansas City Chiefs team that has been clicking left and right in recent weeks in the last couple of ball games. So this is a Chiefs squad that everybody asked the question, what's going to happen now Tyreek Hill's not there? Well, they you know are utilizing other pieces that are becoming instrumental for them offensively. And you're seeing the development of the running game being more impactful in this Kansas City offense. And from Vegas' standpoint, there are the obvious questions. What is wrong with Darren Waller? He has performed nowhere near what the expectations are for a guy like that who should be a top three uh, tight end in the NFL. And what are you going to get out of Hunter Renfro? Coming back, obviously, from the injury, it looks like he practiced all week pretty much. He was there uh, both for the practice practices on Friday and Saturday. He was a full go. So expectations need to be that Hunter Renfro is going to be ready to roll 
and being an impactful guy on that offense. And here's another question, Tim. Got to get your thoughts on this. Where is this running game that Josh McDaniels was supposed to bring from New England? Where was this trio of running backs, you know, the James Whites and, you know, the Ramadre Stevenson kind of, you know, the kind, the kind of approach that you have in Vegas now with the likes of Josh Jacobs and Amir Abdullah and and uh, Zaire White and these guys. Where is that, that at? Because I it's been MIA so far this season. It has been non-existent. You did get the big game from Josh Jacobs last week, obviously, where he rushes for 144 yards and was a huge factor in why they were able to get that win against the Denver Broncos. But make no mistake about it. They're going to have to – I mean, it, it, Josh McDaniel's system was a big – the running game was a huge part of that system in New England. I have yet to see him implement that here in Vegas. And I'm interested in your thoughts as to whether or not he's going to actually implement that in some way, shape, or form here in Las Vegas. I think he will. It's like with anything here in Vegas, Chris, and you know, we could have a whole two hour show on my hatred for Las Vegas fans because they just don't, they want everything given to them early. And when they don't get what they think is right, it just becomes a, a cry fest. And, and here's a situation. The Raiders played over their heads last year, right? They played over their heads. They got in the playoffs. So be it. What was the expectation? Oh, we're going to be better than we were last year. We have Devontae Adams. We're going to be better than we were last year. Uh, we, we have a real a real coach now, right? Not not a court, not some scrub they picked up off the off the line to, to coach the team the rest of the way. The problem is, and what I see is, it takes time. You have to develop whatever the system's going to be. And for Josh Jacobs is the key for me. It wasn't a matter of, and I know they have enough that they could do this this situation, but Really, for Josh Jacobs, it goes back to the freighter front office, Chris, is that they turned down that that extra year for Josh Jacobs. I think he's playing with a little chip on his shoulder, and we saw that last week. He's huge in that game, in that win. So that's a problem looking forward to. But to answer your initial questions, I think you have to give him time to develop the system. And the problem is is that Raider fans are too anxious, and they're they just – they're not even Raider fans, I'm going to say, Chris. They're Las Vegas fans because Raider faithful, Raider fan fans, I don't think you expected it to be a, a, a given that we're going to walk into the playoffs because we have Adams as our as our player now. It's just really it's a product of what the NFL is, and a loss tomorrow night puts him at one and four. I don't think there is a playoffs this year. And to your point, Tim, quickly, when it comes to this offense, it's absolutely still trying to find its footing under Josh McDaniels. The issues big time are when this attack enters the red zone, right? 20, 27th in the NFL when it comes to TD percentage when you're hitting the red zone. That's not going to get it done. Now, you look at the Chiefs, on the other hand, they've had absolutely no issues whatsoever finding pay dirt this year. The Chiefs are, what, second in scoring in the NFL behind the Detroit Lions, and then they hung 41 on a really good Tampa Bay defense last Sunday night. So if they're putting 41 up, Tim, on the Buccaneers defense – what are people expecting them to do against a Raiders defense that has noticeable holes and that has not been stout so far this year? I mean, it's going to be a, a scenario. And look, I, I, I don't know about what your prediction is regarding this game, but a lot of people believe that this could absolutely be some type of double-digit situation for the Kansas City Chiefs up at Arrowhead at home against the Raiders coming up tomorrow night. Yeah, it could, it could get ugly for Raider fans. You have to hope that they're going to bring their A game in this one. 
because Kansas City definitely will be uh, that place will be Arrowhead will be it's always rocking. It'll really be rocking tomorrow night for Monday Night Football with the hated rival Raiders coming to town. And you said something earlier when we talked about this game about replacing Tyreek Hill. That was everybody's uh, question was, oh, how are we going to replace Tyreek Hill? It's not about replacing one player, right, Chris? It's about which, what they've decided to do. And that's a testament to, to Nagy and Andy Reid in the offensive play calling. 11 different Chiefs have caught a ball this year for Patrick Mahomes. And what were the replacements? Marquez Valdez-Scantling. Just 13 receptions, but big-time receptions. Juju Smith-Schuster is now in a full season with the Chiefs. Just 19 receptions, but big-time receptions. Kelsey, MVP of this team, if it wasn't for Mahomes. Uh, Edwards-Hilaire has been more effective out of the backfield this year. They have weapons there, and that's the thing is that you don't know how they're going to beat you. That was always the thing with Casey, right? They have so many guys that can beat you. So how do you replace Hill? You don't replace Hill stat for stat, Chris. You replace him by rotating that ball around a little bit more than you were before. Yeah, and we talked about, obviously, the fantasy football aspect, right? A lot of people have been disappointed in Juju Smith-Schuster so far this season. In Kansas City has not been the guy that they expected. I mean, it's difficult, I guess, to kind of replace Tyreek Hill as that number one option offensively. And I think a lot of people had him pegged to do that. I know I did. I've had him pegged to be that number one option for Patrick Mahomes. really hasn't been the case so far this year as it's been a receiver-by-committee type of deal in Kansas City. And despite the fact they've been successful, for the most part, offensively, and the team is winning, I think they'd much rather have Juju Smith-Schuster much more involved from that standpoint offensively. Chris Wynn, Tim Unglesby, He Wave Sports. We're going to close it out, Chris, with some baseball talk. We had a, I guess you call it an elimination game for sure tonight, game three of the NL wild card, Padres, Mets, all the home teams got to play. If, if there was an if game, which was, was the only series in the wild card situation that had an if game, all three games would have been played at the uh, better record team. So the Mets with a third game to try to close this series out. And Chris, they managed one hit tonight, one hit in a six, nothing loss to San Diego. The Padres move on to take the Dodgers and a hundred and one win team, New York Met, New York Met team is gone. Hundred and one and sixty one finished the season, winning three straight. And what happens? You go up against Joe Musgrove, the San Diego native, who goes out there and just pitches lights out. You get Trent Grisham with that RBI single, and then he made that unbelievable catch, right, Tim, in center field that uh, for the Padres that helped them take this best of. Uh, three series, nationally wildcard series. You also had Austin Nola and Juan Soto pitching in, each with uh, uh, a two-run single in this one. And so now the Padres advance to face the Dodgers. You've got a National League West division series matchup between two teams that there is no love lost whatsoever. And it ensures the Padres will play in front of their home fans in the postseason for the first time, Tim Oglesby, in 16 years when they return yeah. to Petco Park for game three in that series. So uh, pretty impressive. But yes, as I talked about, Detroit radio was going to be going nuts tomorrow, Tim, when it comes to talking about the Detroit Lions and their futility. How about Tim? Or Tim, how about Tommy Barton and New York radio? What's going to be going on? Talking about the New York Mets who topped the 100-win marker in the regular season and have now bowed out in the wild card round, not even the 
division series, not even the you know National League Championship Series or the World Series, the National League Wild Card. They go quietly into the night with a loss to the Padres, my friend. And everybody I know, we're laughing hysterically about this. I guess it's just the hatred of Met fans and the way they carry themselves for a, a team that never has really pulled off anything, right, Chris, since since the Buckner days, the 86s. Um, that, that's, that's a horrible, horrible loss if you're a Mets fan after that kind of season. And you had, going into this matchup, you lined it up perfectly to have your two guns, the guys you spent all the money on in that pitching rotation to go one, two, and you don't get it done. Uh, wow. It's going to be a bad, bad, long off season for Mets fans. And when, with the Padres, Chris, you said it, not only did they get a, a home game at Petco in the playoffs for the first time in almost two decades, they get it against their rival in the Dodgers. And they have struggled mightily against the Dodgers the last few years, Chris, overall in the regular season, uh, this is going to be a fun one to watch, I think. And do you, do you think the Padres, can they be the Cinderella, Chris? Can they be the Cinderella of the eight teams left, 89 wins? They knocked out a 101 team. Now they play a Dodger team that's historically here in the last decade have been to numerous World Series and, and uh, NLCS, NLCSs, 111 wins this year. Can the Padres muster it up and get it done here in the playoffs? Is there a chance, Tim? I guess so. Do I think it's going to happen? Absolutely not. Because you look at this Dodger lineup, I don't, I don't just foresee any way at all that the Padres through a seven-game series are going to be able to muster up enough offensively to kind of keep pace with this Dodger team. And look, you can, you can look. I understand that it's a, you know, it's it's a decent, it's a decent pitching uh, crew that you're going to send out there for the Friars when you send these guys to the bump, and. Look, in this Mets series, what happened? I mean, you know, New York really never never recovered from being relegated to the wild card round. You had Mike Scherzer, who just got absolutely shelled in that game one. Then game two, the Mets win behind, uh, you know, Jake DeGrom basically staving off elimination. And then, of course, as you pointed out, with, against Musgrove, they can only get one hit. So, I mean, you're, it, was, it was really an impressive performance from the Padres from not just offensively, but from a pitching standpoint in that matchup against – the Mets. I don't see foreseeing the series being the same type of series against the Dodgers. I just think I think Los Angeles just has too much uh, when it comes to their to their pitching staff as well as offensively for the Padres. But it was but it was it's going to make everybody that's not a fan of the Mets happy that that New York is gone. And you know, but I think this is as far as it goes. I think the Padres pretty much uh, look. They were an eighty nine and seventy three team, and of course we all understand what happened regarding Fernando Tatis Jr. sidelined all season by a wrist injury and, of course, the, the PED suspension. This is a team that uh, I think was will, was never going to recover from that, and I think that's going to be clearly evident when they go up against the likes of the Los Angeles Dodgers, who are the class not only of just the National League, but probably the entire major leagues here when they get to the divisional round. Let's try to handicap the rest of these matchups here in the in the last, I'd say, what do we got, about five or six minutes left. Phillies, Braves, so the defending champion Braves, Chris, 101 wins. Welcome Bryce Harper and the Phillies who took out the Cardinals in the wild card round. Who you like here, Phillies, Braves? I like the Braves in this situation. Uh, you got to be impressed by Philadelphia, what they've been able to do from, a, from an offensive standpoint. The uh, Essentially sweeping the Cardinals, right? 
and now you're going to face the uh, reigning world champions. It is a, but I'm, I have question marks when it comes to this Philadelphia pitching staff and some of the inexperience that they have in their lineup on an everyday level. And I'm talking about the likes of uh, our own homegrown, uh, obviously Bryce Harper's a Vegas guy, but also Bryson Stott, who is, you know, has become kind of a, kind of a, uh, a guy that's been clutch in certain spots, but this, the water gets kind of deep right here when you're talking about getting deeper into the playoffs. And I don't necessarily know if Bryson's uh, really uh, up to the task here in this situation, particularly against his Braves pitching staff. So I think that it, uh, it could be tough for Philadelphia to, to even get a couple of wins in this series. I think they get one. I think they get one. But any more than that, I'd be a little bit surprised, to be quite honest with you, if, uh, if they're able to, to uh, come away and make this series necessarily competitive against Atlanta. And in the American League, I think this was a collision course from the beginning of the season. We all like this matchup happening, but we got to get through one more round to do it. Guardians knock out Tampa in the wild card round. They get the Yankees, Chris, here in the ALDS. Yeah, the Indians, or excuse me, the Guardians, I should say, uh, did end up knocking because of their pitching. I mean, the pitching was unreal against the Tampa Bay Rays. It was a huge part of it. And then the other series was just wild, given that it, it, the Blue Jays should have won the series. The Blue Jays were up, what, 8-1 to one yesterday? And we're yeah. still not able to close that game out. And then, of course, it ends up uh, – you end up losing that game, and it goes to a game three, and then anything can happen, and that's exactly what went down. So uh, I got to be honest. I mean, people, you know, look, look, look at this, the American League bracket, and everybody's staring down the barrel of a Yankees-Astros series. I mean, it's just, it just, it's just the way it is. We can, we can wax poetic all we want regarding the Guardians, no pun intended, the Tampa Bay Rays or the Mariners or the Blue Jays. But I think they're just kind of holding court. This is about the Yankees and the Astros. You've got the Mariners taking on Houston. Would it be a, would it be a fun story, I guess, if the Mariners, with all their young talent, were able to kind of win, beat, win, beat – uh, one of the big dogs in the American League? I guess so. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. But I just don't foresee it happening. And the Yankees, I think the only team that in the American League, other than the Astros, that can beat the Yankees are the Yankees themselves. So I, I, it's, 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 you want to talk about, you just mentioned it, a collision course, my friend. It absolutely is all about H-Town and the Big Apple and how things – I don't really necessarily care how they get there, when they get there or how they go about getting there, it's going to eventually happen. And I think that's what everybody, especially American League fans, are waiting to see, is they want to see that matchup between the Bronx Bombers and the Astros. And if everybody's, if all things equal and consider, and everything considered, I think even fan, even people like me and a number of other American League fans that hate the Yankees would not have any problem with the Yankees knocking off the Astros for obvious reasons. So, uh, that's, that's a matchup. I think that everybody looks at there's, 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 there's positive points. Obviously you can look at with both the Cleveland guardians and the Seattle Mariners regarding the possibility of what they could do. But I just think that it's uh, pretty much a foregone conclusion. We think it's going to be those two teams from New York and Houston. Yeah. And that'll be fun to watch. I'm with you. I like Houston. I like New York. I like the Dodgers and I like the Braves. And then it's kind of almost a, a, seems like if you take the last few years, one of those teams has been in the mix, obviously, to win 
the World Series, if not more than one. And it would be, look, here's the deal. I mean, the, the Cleveland Guardians, it, it's, you always kind of want to root for the teams that have never won a World Series, right? And so you kind of want to root for the Mariners. You kind of want to root for the Guardians, even though they haven't been the Guardians for very long. And, but, but, you know, and I guess you kind of want to root for the Padres, right? But it's just, it just doesn't seem like it's going to shake out that one of those three teams that has never won a World Series is going to actually do it. So uh, I think being realistic, all things considered, you got to look at a lot of chalk when it comes to the Major League Baseball postseason. And I think that's what I do. That's what you do, Tim. And, of course, that's what Tommy does, too, as well, when we take a look at uh, everything that's going down when it comes to the Major League Baseball playoffs. Monday's football, Tuesday, you have a quadruple if you're talking baseball. 10 o'clock, Phillies, Braves. 12.30, Mariners, Astros. 4.30, Guardians, Yankees. And then the closer, 6.30, Padres, Dodgers. This is a great time of year to be a sports fan, no doubt about it. Chris, let everybody know once again where they can see you, where they can find you. It's always a pleasure to have you on the show, my man. Always great to join you guys at Heatwave Sports, Tim. You can find me at Christian Wynn on Twitter, at Christian William Wynn on Facebook, and also CWIN77 for the youngsters over on uh, on uh, both TikTok as well as Instagram. And you put it right, my friend. What a great time of year. You're talking about everything across the board except for WNBA hoops, it seems like. you got <laughs> preseason NBA. Golden Knights hit the ice for the first time in regular season to, to Tuesday night against the Los Angeles Kings and then back home here against the Chicago Blackhawks. And, of course, you mentioned it. Uh, we got Raiders action going on tomorrow night and uh, all the college football that you could want across the board to go along with the Major League baseball playoffs a lot of fun all the way around my friend that's the man chris win special thanks to ryan back in the studio we're back next sunday night chris said golden knights they're gonna bump us next saturday as they're in seattle to take on the kraken so we'll be back next sunday night for your super sunday night edition of heatwave sports week six nfl recap until then have a great sports week tim uncles will be signing off for tonight heatwave sports it's only on fox sports radio